I'm a massive Justin hater. I'm a massive Justin Gaethje hater. But I agree. The narrative that he's an overrated bum makes no sense at all. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I agree with the second statement, but... Uh, just... What? <laughs> a Justin Gaethje hater. Yeah, I hate this incredibly entertaining action fighter. <laughs> Just... What? <laughs> I'm sorry, but what motivates these people when they watch fights? Like, what, what, are, they, what are they looking for? <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, welcome to Tankred Home, episode 13. And, uh, I, I don't even know where to start. I'm, I'm just incredibly, I, I'm stumped here. <laughs> like, it, well, I'm sorry, this, this isn't going to be the, um, listen, a mailbag episode, I promised. Uh, it's, uh, I've, um, looked over some of the questions that I've, uh, received, uh, that, uh, I'm yet to actually answer on one of the listen, a mailbags, and, uh, yeah, they're going to take some actual research work for me to be able to understand to to answer them succinctly and in an understandable manner and to not just ramble my way through the entire podcast so <clears throat> uh, today i'm just going to I, i'm i wish to address uh, a, uh an occurrence that is apparently fairly common on mma social media nowadays and uh which is uh, uh, I guess I should call it Justin Gaethje revisionism, <laughs> because I, I legitimately do not, uh, do not have anything else in mind that uh, would be uh, appropriate enough to call it. Uh, I think it's the most descriptive term I, c I could use for this phenomenon. But uh, yeah, ever since Justin Gaethje lost to Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, there's been this, uh, uh, this. There's been this wave of takes, of MMA hot takes uh, that uh, most of them, most most of which uh, boil down to the idea that Justin Gaethje was never good, or that he's uh, a bad fighter, or that he's uh, incredibly overrated and thus sucks, as opposed to being, you know, uh, as opposed to being a fighter whose fighting abilities ha had been overstated, and thus. While still good, he is not as good as people described him to be. Like, for example, he's not really the H Habib kryptonite that uh, uh, many people, including some of TFS crew, uh, professed him to be. And I get it. It's a perfectly fine line of reasoning. Into it's a perfectly understandable and fine uh, line of uh, reasoning, a trail of thought for a person to pursue. But the rest of it, I just don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's my catchphrase at this uh, this point already, uh, which is uh, what is nuance. Uh, whenever like um, whenever some kind of topic gets brought up in, in the MMA community, people are just blatantly, are just plain unable to discuss it in a in a nuanced and uh, well intelligent way. And sometimes the reasoning makes sense, but the c conclusion doesn't. Or the conclusion makes sense, but the reasoning doesn't. <laughs> it's just a mess. <laughs> uh, like, uh, Alright, I see the narrative that uh, all of Justin's wins aged uh, quite badly. 
I guess I could see how one could come up with a rationale like this one. Because uh, his uh, recent, uh, like, <clears throat> like his resume isn't as strong, for example, as uh, Dustin Poirier's, or as, uh, well, naturally, Habib's, or, or Eddie Alvarez's, but, but uh, <clears throat> it's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of recording this immediately after uh, a brief talk with my peers uh, in one of the, uh, the fight, in one of the fight side chats, and, uh, uh, like uh, Hags pointed out that in order, like, in order to argue that seriously, you have to, you have to est- establish how exactly those fights have aged badly, why they they've aged badly, and uh, you need to establish why he wasn't the one who started those fighters' declines, because as we all know, whenever you get into a fight with uh, Justin Gaethje, you can, unless you're Khabib Nurmagomedov, and even in that case. You have to count on the fact that you're probably going to get hit very often, very, very hard. Uh, like even Dustin Poirier professes to the fact that uh, his win, like one of the one, many of his fans pointed out that he was able to beat uh, Justin Gaethje fairly comfortably, and Dustin Poirier would be the first person to point out that no, it wasn't comfortable. Justin Gaethje tore his fucking quad muscle with his leg kicks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like if you like two like five or six more leg kicks like that and uh we, we might have seen an entirely different fight an entirely different outcome so you you can't argue that uh Dustin Poirier was able to beat Justin Gaethje comfortably so that uh gets us to the point and uh Daddy Alvarez just look at his face after the fight Look at his face. Look at his, how he hobbles around. The man needed crutches to move around after he beat just, Justin Gaethje. So that just points us to the fact that even if you beat Justin Gaethje, you're probably going to end up getting hurt long term. You're going to get injured quite badly. Khabib Nurmagomedov, he was able to... Yes, it was an incredibly dominant win. incredibly An incredibly dominant finish. But he... Lost the first round. I'm sorry, but he did. He lost the first round on criteria, on damage criteria, because he's eaten every single power shot that Justin Gaethje threw at him. It's just that uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is uh, a borderline, nigh-invulnerable Terminator who can't be stopped. He willingly took all this damage. He willingly... uh, he willingly gave uh, gave uh, the first round away in order to get to the position where he can secure his win condition, which is what happened at the end of that round. And he was able to go back to it and in the second round, pursue it, zero in on the things that he needed to do and secure the finish. And if anything, it just makes the win more impressive because it points us to the fact that Khabib Nurmagomedov is uh, an incredibly strategically adept and tactically proficient fighter. He's very intelligent, and he saved up all his durability for that specific fight, for that specific most important fight of his career, which is his last fight, the last fight of his career. You could say that Tony Ferguson hasn't looked too hot lately, but I mean, uh, go back and watch the Justin Gaethje fight. Have you seen? Have you seen the amount of damage he took? (laughs) 
It's it's one of the most visceral, one of the most one of the most disconcerting fights in recent memory that I've ever seen. It's like it's like something from Only God Forgives. Just complete silence, no fans, and just constant just this <laughs> these thuds as uh, Justin Cage's fists and uh, shins connect with uh, Tony Ferguson and uh, continue marking him up more and more until until in the end Tony Ferguson looks like a wounded animal he looks like a looks like some kind of horrible creature from the abyss all covered in in, in these like in these like bleeding marks his entire face is covered in bruises cuts and uh, it just his body just plain gives out on him, like uh, that uh, finishing sequence where Tony Ferguson starts st- stumbling around, uh, trying to shake stars out of his vision. It's like, uh, it's kind of like the uh, kind of like the Barbosa Burgas finish where Burgas's body just gave out on him, and in this case, Tony Ferguson is just tough enough to to try to at least have the wherewithal to kind of. He, he may have been he may well have been out on his feet during that moment but he is tough enough to just try and uh, make his body make his body listen to him make his body to, to try and make his body perform and it can't because the sheer amount of damage he took has been so great that his body won't listen to him that's the kind of fighter you're facing. That's the kind of fighter Justin Gaethje is. Like, sure, you can argue that his uh, resume isn't all that hot compared to someone like Dustin, but look at the man fight. Look at his fights. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's. I mean, it's kind of like uh, the stats thing. Uh, kind of like uh, people like whenever people say like, oh, Max Holloway isn't all that great of a fighter. Uh, I mean, the stats say that he takes a, ho- a heaping amount of damage and I don't know, never pursues takedowns. We can't judge fighters based on that. And judging fighters based on on their resume implies that you're also watching the fights themselves in order to evaluate said resume. It, it's it's what Ed Gallo does on his resume review series. He watches the fucking fights. Honestly, Jesus, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like people are also v- just that people are incredibly insistent on devaluing losses, which is also incredibly strange. Like both the Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez losses, losses uh, had Justin made a couple adjustments, a couple moment-to-moment tactical adjustments, we may have seen a completely different outcome because Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez got fucked up in that fight. Dustin Poirier got fucked up in that fight against Justin. Khabib Nurmagomedov had his chin been like ninety-five percent of what it uh, what it was actually what he actually demonstrated in the fight. Khabib Nurmagomedov may have gotten knocked out. That's the that's the margins we deal with at the highest level of uh, of uh, at the highest level of MMA competition. That's how thin the margins are. And if you say that, uh, if you try to dismiss those margins, I, I mean, that's just that just tells me that you either do not possess any any degree of experience in high-level competition or just plain do not understand how high-level competition works. It's lightweight. It's a shark tank. 
everyone in there is an athletic specimen. Everyone in there is a masterful fighter. Everyone in the top top uh, five, top ten at least. And Justin Cagey, at his very worst, Justin Cagey is at least a top five lightweight fighter in the world. Crikey. No words, only swears. <laughs> like, uh, like uh, Simon Amorim, friend of the site Simon Amorim, uh, pointed out that the problem with Justin's resume is not that it's bad. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a perfectly fine resume for a top five lightweight. It's just it doesn't really match up with his talent, and uh, it doesn't really match up uh, with the expectations. Uh, brought about by his sheer talent. He is an incredibly elite guy. He's an elite guy and has been fighting at the elite level for about four years now. And uh, the problem is he doesn't really have an elite win, which you could also argue against in that Tony Ferguson is an elite win. But with the caveat that maybe, okay, Tony Ferguson was a bit, uh, has declined a bit at the moment the moment he fought Justin Gage was his also, which is also a perfectly fine argument if Tony Ferguson was uh, 100% coming into that fight which I think he very nearly was but uh, Tony Ferguson's game being what it is in that if it declines even a couple of percent even a, even uh, even like 2% like it's it's like with the Habib example if uh, Habib's chin is slightly worse than it was then Habib gets knocked out if Tony Ferguson was 100% in that fight, he may have well won, but also, if his game declines even to 99%, he's no longer looking like, um, he would no longer perform at the same level he had been able to perform previously, because that's just how the uh, top three of lightweight works. Uh, like, uh, okay, so, like, like, let's say, uh, let's take another example, Eddie Alvarez. Because he is more, because he is more fundamentally sound than Tony Ferguson, he is always going to look uh, like uh, fifteen, ten times better than Tony would be. Because his game is not as is not as reliant on his attributes. But at the, with the caveat that at the highest level, everyone's game relies on their attributes to a to a certain extent. Because if you're not relying on your athletic attributes to a certain degree, to any sort of degree at the highest level. You're not winning fights. That's just how it is. But, uh, and yet you still have people pretending that Eddie's prime, quote-unquote, in any aspect, except perhaps being a savvy veteran and some of his technique was uh, peak in the UFC. Uh, like, people c just can't agree on uh, when Eddie Alvarez's prime really was. And... Uh, and I understand that because it's very hard to evaluate because at some at certain in certain points of his career it looks like Eddie might be going out any moment now and and then you have a performance like the performance he's had against Justin Gaethje where he looks uh, perfectly fine but also that uh, that Conor McGregor loss where purely because of the style purely because of the stylistic matchup well, Eddie Alvarez got starched against Conor McGregor because uh, his style relies on darting right hands, and attempting darting right hands against Conor McGregor in open stance is a very bad idea. And so, people use that 
to kind of point to the fact that, uh, oh, he got dismantled so badly, how can you say that Eddie Alvarez was an elite fighter at any moment in his career? And it's, uh, it's, it was asinine then, and it's asinine now, with relation to Justin Gaethje, because he, was, he lost to the, arguably, one of the greatest lightweights in the history of the sport. I'm just getting tired of the internet these days. Like, uh, it's either people arguing in bad faith, or people using, people appropriating the way the fight site tries to f- think about fights, which is not very complicated. It's not a very complicated process. It's just us watching fights and uh, trying to follow trails of logic that make sense. Either that, or it's uh, people who should really know better memeing about fights instead of having normal discussions. Which is uh, a big part of why I like like interacting with uh, fight fans, with other fight fans who are also, like, I don't know, analytically inclined. And, uh, I mean, memes are fine when they're in moderation, but uh, uh, a lot of the time it seems like people can kind of get carried away and uh, these interactions, these jokey, joking, sarcastic, snarky interactions turn into everyone trying to wind everyone else up. And uh, I would really like just... I feel like I say this every week now, essentially. Every podcast that I've recorded was always me trying to tell people to dial it down a notch, you know? To just calm down a little. Just calm down! Like, I used to be very harsh on people losing to Khabib Nurmagomedov because I was frustrated with the fact that Khabib Nurmagomedov was able to cut through the division like a hot knife through butter. And it wasn't in a way that uh, spoke to his... uh, Well, it did point to his greatness as a fighter, but also uh, he kind of positioned himself as an out-of-context problem for the division. He exploited the meta very hard in order to get to where he was able to get. Because uh, if you look at the lightweight meta, a lot of it is uh, incredibly durable strikers who are able to push uh, uh, an absurd pace. And uh, also a lot of them are big punches. So naturally, a lot of them rely on these, on having these incredibly violent scraps as opposed to any sort of wrestling exchanges or grappling ex- exchanges. And so I used to be Pretty hard on Justin Gagey for that performance, but now I've sort of mellowed out. And the same uh, happened with the Dustin Poirier's performance against Khabib, but I'm going to get into it uh, a bit later. Uh, because um, uh, in this in the chat we've had with uh, Hacks and the rest of the boys is that um, Hacks pointed out that somebody who is tired from doing something unfamiliar and facing a threat they've never faced in such a way before against uh, somebody who is top 10 pound for pound 100% no matter how you slice it like uh, uh, if you uh, if you followed high level competition for any uh, for, for any significant span of time you would you would see the best in the world fall apart from that position in many competitive environments in uh, in in uh, situations where even in situations that are on paper, uh, not as hard as uh, this type of situation that uh, Justin Gagey uh, has found himself in. And like, to get back to Dustin Poirier's performance, Dustin's performance may have been better in the individual moments, but that's Dustin's whole thing, in that he'll get himself in bad situations and try to fight his way out of him. 
Exhibit A, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. And so Dustin tried to fight his way out of every bad position. He's found himself against Khabib. He's found himself in against Khabib and gassed himself out. Justin, meanwhile, made an overcorrection in assuming that he needs to avoid all collisions with all collisions with Khabib at all costs. Facing a style matchup he's got zero familiarity with and gassed himself out. Like he went full hawk in a different direction. But fighting Khabib requires you that requires that you are able to think and feel. Think and feel where you need to uh, get away from him as far as possible and feel when you really need to instead clash with him and try to fight your way out of that position to, to in order to discourage Habib, which is a tall task on any given day. Even if you are an incredibly, if you even if you are a well-credentialed wrestler or a wrestler that's shown a good wrestler for MMA that's shown your uh, wrestling ability in MMA, like in retrospect, I understand why they fumbled their performances the way they did, because I like once again I used to be incredibly frustrated with how people fought in a very dumb way against Khabib, but now uh, once again I've really mellowed mellowed out quite a bit when it comes to that question. Because out-of-context problems being what they are, uh, <clears throat> like, out-of-context problems are what topples empires in real life. Every time you look at the fall of an empire, it's usually some kind of out-of-context problem that, uh, that gets them out of there, that uh, wipes them off the face of the earth, leaving only historical traces behind. And uh, the same is true of fighting as well. If you've never faced a style matchup, in your career, and then suddenly you get the pinnacle of that style matchup in your in the most important fight of your career. It's perfectly understandable that you're going to lose. It's just it's kind of a given. You're already operating from a less than ideal position. Sorry, sip of coffee. Recording this first thing in the morning, right as I w- woke up, because I saw some, I saw some tweets. <laughs> That annoyed me to no end. Uh, <clears throat> and so here we are. But uh, uh, Fenio also uh, Fenio also had an argument that uh, Connor did better than Dustin because he put a lot of emphasis on stalling. Like a lot of people say that uh, Connor did the best out of the three of them, but I I'm not sh- I'm not so sure that it's true. And uh, my peers at the fight site are also not entirely sure of that as well because. Uh, once again, he put a lot of emphasis on stalling, which would never win him the fight. Stalling would not would never win you any fight, because you're focusing on not losing as opposed to focusing on winning. It's not like Habib will stop looking for takedowns and say, "Okay, now it's your turn. Try and take me down now. I'm gonna give you a breather, just like, uh, just like for the sporting honor's sake." Like selling out and getting beat like Dustin and Justin did. Uh, it might look worse, uh, but it's the only thing that will give you a shot if you're that outmatched in in, in a single area of the fight. Like, look at the moments of success they uh, they were able to have. Both Justin and Dustin. Justin connected with every power punch he threw in the first round. He he may have looked panicky and sloppy doing that, but push comes to shove, it's still. Incredibly damaging punches from a pound-for-pound hitter. The Dustin fight as well. He was able. He has. He had been able to get up, and uh, 
selling out in the wall walk is not the best idea against Habib, because you're going to get uh, taken down again regardless, but at least it gets you up for a moment, and it gives you this split second to at least connect with something. And he did connect with uh, with significant shots. It was one of the like one of the two fights where Habib looked halfway vulnerable because he he. It was a an incredibly brief moment, but Habib still got rocked. The other moment being uh, the Michael John the Michael Johnson fight. <clears throat> Nevertheless, they still got finished, but still. But still, it still points us to the fact that. If you are that outmatched, you need to take risks in order to win the fight, in order to give yourself some degree of a fighting chance. We've had this uh, discussion with uh, Hacks and uh, both on the Tangredome and uh, both outside of it, but uh, the Habib problem is solvable. It's entirely solvable, it's, uh, it's not an unbeatable style. But for as long as he fought in the division, and given how different the other title fight contenders are, there wasn't the time to craft an appropriate response. The When Khabib burst into the title scene, all of the top five, all of the top ten lightweight fighters were already finished products. Their game was built around facing other lightweights with similar striking games. There aren't really any high-level wrestlers at lightweight. Islam Makhachev may be, may be a, an exception, but he's not really... I wouldn't really call him a, like a, a super elite grappler or wrestler to the, to the same degree that Habib was. And so, like, tons of... Um, like, to reinforce the point about stalling, tons of boring fights are that way because the fighter on the bottom, the fighter who is losing the stand-up, or, or the fighter who is losing the stand-up, or the fighter who is losing the, on the bottom, uh, they they are they end up being boring because they just they are just unwilling to take risks, and they are unwilling to give their opponent openings. Naturally, the onus is on their opponent to find the, 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 those openings and finish the fight. But sometimes it's just uh, if you if you are a, able to get away with a solid, convincing decision without risking too much. It's perf- It's a perfectly fine way to win, and uh, part of the reason why I enjoy Justin Gaethje so much because he is because he always takes those risks, even on the feet. Even when he has an advantage on the feet, he will still, nevertheless, go for the finish and try to force openings out of his opponent and knock them out, even if he gets hurt in the process. That's just how he is. That's how just how he is as a person. That's just his how his style and personality play into each other to create an incredibly entertaining action fighter. An incredibly elite action fighter as well. Like, me and me and uh, Hex still think that in order to for Justin to beat Khabib, he would, still, he would need to combine his ability to fight off the back foot and his pressuring ability in order to win the fight. Because, uh, but he just simply did not have the time in his career to get that together and beat Habib uh, to to counter Habib's uh, combination of uh, chin and jank and uh, strategic understanding. Because what uh, Habib did in order to force Justin to move was to throw heaps and heaps of janky, janky volume. That's just how the fight worked out. 
Khabib went after Gagey and did not stop throwing. Like, looking back at that fight, selling out and all that pressure may have just, uh, might have just allowed Khabib to beat Gagey even faster. Because Khabib genuinely made an adjustment in seeking to secure reactive takedowns, which is what won him the fight. That's why I'm so high on that performance for, from Habib. That's why it, it's such an exciting performance, because Habib, after years and years of us criticizing him for not being the most fundamentally sound wrestler from standing to actually making adjustments, to actually... like we, to, Ed Gallo, in particular, criticized, and criticized Habib for never seeking reactive takedowns. He's, he's done a reactive takedowns all of one single time th throughout his entire career against uh, against a guy who was woefully out of position. Even my grandma would have been able to secure that takedown. <sighs> like, sure. Uh, like, uh, we're not saying that it's, uh, uh, it's... You should always risk it all. It's your health that's on the line. If you're okay losing losing a decision, then go ahead. Just go ahead. But uh, we, we won't blame the guy who won. And we won't blame you for taking this approach. In, uh, outside of certain select cases, like uh, Fanny brought up uh, Kamush versus uh, Valentina Shevchenko, like, uh, sometimes there's moments where it's hard to emphasize. Uh, it's, it's hard to empathize. Like, uh, you know for a fact this is your last chance to become world champion. You might want to try a thing or two to win. Like, you're not getting paid any good money to lose, but winning can change your life. Just go for it. What do I mean? What is nuance? <laughs> uh, like, Connor did his homework on Habib. Uh, like, uh, Fanny pointed out that uh, Connor did his homework on Habib, but his homework was more like, how do I lose without getting killed, but got killed anyway, and also got dropped. And if anything, he prolonged his own beating. There's also another point that's, uh, that's worth point being uh, being worth emphasized. That's uh, worth emphasizing is that Connor got away quite clearly with a lot of things that uh, I sincerely doubt. I sincerely doubt other fighters would have, like the bla blatant, repeated cheating. Like he constantly grabbed Habib's shorts. He constantly grabbed his gloves. Just Connor didn't really look any like that much better. He seemed to know a bit more about being on bottom, but that's it. And like uh, he didn't really, he 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 had the right ideas, but he didn't perform them in the correct order. Like uh, a particularly baffling decision he's made was uh, was trying to strike with the free hand instead of putting two on one and trying to fight grips. That was mistake number one he's made in uh, in round number one. And basically, he just cheated his way out of getting the shit beating out of beaten out of him and uh, submitted in the second round. Like Habib as a fighter is uh, very methodical and procedural in how he handles top position. And like when you cheat against him, his reaction is usually to take his foot off the gas pedal for a moment, reset, and find solutions. Because if you if the ref isn't going to call you out and cheating, if the ref isn't there to prevent you from cheating, then then uh, instead of trying to force his way out of a bad position or a, a position where he's stuck, he'll try and 
go over the various algorithms he may go through in order to advance his own offense on top. Like, uh, it's, it is my opinion, and it is the opinion of my colleagues at the fight side, it is the opinion of my colleagues at the fight side that Connor would have gone out in the second just like the rest of them if he wasn't allowed to just do illegal stuff by Herb Dean. But nevertheless, cheating really just only delayed Habib more than it... It just simply delayed Habib, really. It didn't really... Didn't really give him that much trouble. And he still dropped him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Connor, uh, your performance was ass. You got owned. It's kind of like a... Uh, 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 yeah, and Fenyu once again pointed out that uh, there was a, a lot of that with with uh, GSP as well in his prime. Like after a while, no one just wanted to be the guy who got finished by GSP because there was be there there's been this uh, strong narrative that GSP is not a finisher, and so getting finished by GSP would have been inc incredibly embarrassing. Which also incidentally ties to our discussion on toughness uh, we've had with Zach Makovsky at Gallo and Hacks, like. Uh, uh, certain th things that people do are just uh, are, are made. They make they perform these things in order to protect their own ego. And losing is naturally an incredibly embarrassing thing for many people to experience. Like in the Condit fight, Condit actually worked off his back, and that's and got his ass kicked. But uh, it still ended up being a more fun fight because he gave GSP stuff to work with instead of just trying to survive or just hanging in there trying to avoid getting beaten up. And uh, I'm uh, I'm not a big fan of the idea that you need to bring the fight to the champion in order to win. I think if you decision a champion in a conservative but nevertheless convincing way you've won the fight it, it's like if you won the first three rounds against the champion then cruised for the last two you've won the fight the idea of championship rounds somehow holding more value than the other three rounds is just blatantly false like show me the rules point me point me to the exact paragraph where it says in the rules that the last two rounds of a championship fight score more than the, the first three. You wouldn't be able to because there's no such rule. But still. But still. From a legacy standpoint, it still matters a lot if you sell out in a championship fight, trying to win, constantly trying to force moments to happen and lose because it's a lot uh, like uh, the fan base is a lot more forgiving uh, forgiving to losses that uh, happened due to the fact that uh, a fighter decided to go to go all out to just sell out on trying to win the fight and lost trying to do things as opposed to losing while trying to survive, basically. And naturally, there's also the ethics question that needs to be brought up in that, is it really okay for us to clamor for fighters to uh, take more damage, uh, even if the outcome is still a sure thing, that it's, uh, it's, uh, 
is it okay for, for us to encourage fighters to take more damage in fights that they are bound to lose? And uh, I think um, my answer would be that maybe maybe it's fair to say that we shouldn't encourage them, but it's also entirely their own personal decision. And if they decide to go out on their shield, as much as I hate that saying, it's their decision. If they decided to put their health on the line in such a way, all power to them. Like, uh, I respect your decision, and it would be unfair of me to try and take away, to try and lessen the bravery of such a decision by, say, by saying that, by criticizing that it was a bad decision on part of the fighter. It's not my place to tell them what to do. It's my place as an analyst, however, to point out the more optimal ways that you can go about beating the other fighter, beating your opponent. See? See, that's nuance. That's how nuance works. Multiple things can be true at the same time. Multiple things can be true at the same time in the right context. And also, multiple things... Those very same things may be wrong, in the wrong context. I can't believe I have to restate that every every other week. This fucking fan base, I swear. Like sometimes it, uh, it sometimes it aggravates me how uh, certain memes that uh, the the fight I crew came up with uh, get uh, catch on and. Uh, get misused, for example, like the Chin Bully. Chin Bully is a perfect descriptor for many fighters. It uh, tells you everything you need to know about the, about the fighter, and yet some people still use it in the wrong context. And uh, the same way, it's, uh, what's, what's even more aggravating is when people look at, the, at how, for example, Ad Gallo rates fighters, how he uses uh, his ranking system to evaluate your wins, and place you in the pound-for-pound pound list. And, like, uh, I, I never make lists. I'm not a fan of lists. I agree that they're fine, they're perfectly fine as a conversation starter. But uh, in a vacuum, such lists are pretty much worthless. And I'm not invalidating Ed Gallo's uh, efforts here, because Ed Gallo actually uses his lists as a conversation starter. He uses it as a jumping-off tool to provide more in-depth analysis, more coherent analysis, analysis that, actu that is actually worth something, because he actually, because, first of all, he actually watched the fucking fights. He watched the individual fighter's career up to that point. He takes context, he takes the context, he evaluates the fighters and the fights within that context, taking all the background information into account, and only then, then and only then, he makes his decision. Then and only then, he he uh, settles on a verdict for your career evaluation. That's how it works. You have to take more things into account than just a certain fighter's resume. When the fight happened. In what form did the both fighters found themselves in 
in the build-up to that fight. Maybe it was a tough weight cut. Maybe they got injured. Maybe they got injured during the fight. How did their opponents look prior to that fight? And the, the, these variables pile on and on and on and on, and you have to take them all into account to provide a truthful, honest, and, uh, like, uh, truthful, honest account of the, the things that happened to provide, to provide an honest and truthful analysis of the fight, them, uh, of the fight itself, and of the fighters themselves as well. This is what you need to do in order to start arguing in good faith about MMA, about the fight. Not just MMA, just just about any fight. Any high any high level competition uh competition event. Fuck it. Even like uh, even like fucking esports, even like cyber gaming. Even professional gaming you have to take all this stuff into account. And professional gaming benefits a lot from having all the data because it's uh, entirely it's uh, it's an all everything is entirely digital and you have a wealth of data to base your assumptions off of and conclusions for that matter but also you have to take into account the psychological uh the psychological markup of the competitors themselves coming into the uh, uh, coming into the tournaments they take they uh, that uh, they take part in because a tournament is a tournament is a tournament. Different tournaments in different countries are sometimes officiated differently. Sometimes the uh, the the uh, circumstances of that tournament are different. So it's everything varies from tournament to tournament, and everything varies from fight to fight. Honest, truthful, procedurally sound analysis is uh, is. Um, it's uh, complicated, and it's complex, and it's hard. But it's not that hard. It's not that complicated and complex. You just have to kind of... Uh, you have to constantly rehash... Constantly rehash and upgrade your process. with uh, Upgrade the process with which you approach fight analysis. And it's perfectly fine if you're not interested in fight analysis per se. Like... Uh, as uh, either a hobby or a career pursuit, but uh, you have to take all this data into account in order to not at least have, uh, in order to not have terrible opinions. And with uh, me, Hacks and Dan have been over this on uh, one of the previous Tangry Domes, the analysis podcast. And uh, I would, uh, I would um, strongly, uh, I would. Uh, <sighs> I would highly recommend you go back and uh, listen to that one as well. And uh, some of the things that I've been ranting in this podcast are provided and discussed, uh, presented and discussed more in depth in a more, I suppose, constructive and calm manner. As opposed to this podcast, this podcast is kind of like a, it's a, it's a bit of a scream into the void. Because I have, I've genuinely got so annoyed by the, some of the things that I've seen uh, on the timeline, and uh, naturally, I'm, I'm, I, I will be the first person to admit that I am biased. I am biased because I'm a big fan of Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje is one of my favorite fighters in the sport today, even despite the recent, uh, maybe, questionable style change 
which I I am not really all that sold on the idea that it was a bad change or it was a change for the worst. It was a turn for the worse for Justin Gagey. And I am completely not sold on the idea that his uh, wins have aged badly. They've, they, they haven't. He just... It just fucked people. It just fucks people up so badly they just kind of fall off a cliff afterwards. The only exceptions being uh, Dustin Poirier and uh, maybe Eddie Alvarez to some to some degree, but he's old and uh, he's currently fighting. His I don't know. He's currently fighting middleweights in one. So I wouldn't take that uh, too much into account. And Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is shot now. And who's to say Justin Gaethje wasn't. The, co- the main culprit, the primary culprit behind Tony's, b- behind Tony being washed now, purely because of the sheer damage that uh, Justin Gaethje was able to inflict on Tony. And if that's the reason why you dislike Justin Gaethje, then then fine. I've got no trouble with that. I understand that. You beat your favorite fighter, even though, like personally, I'm not really. I'm not really aggravated whenever the fighters that I like lose because it's just part of the game. That's fighting. Sometimes you lose fights. It's okay. The only uh, the only loss I'm not... Uh, uh, I, I do not agree with and in fact the only loss that I do not acknowledge as a loss is uh, the recent uh, uh, Piotr Jan uh, win over Aljamain Sterling. And that's pretty much it. Well, also you, you've also got uh, uh, you've also got RDA versus Colby, which is a robbery in my eyes and in the eyes of my colleagues at the fight side. But uh, I mean, to uh, to go back to my original point, you can dislike a fighter without being intellectually dishonest about it. There's no need to come up with uh, like uh, with come up with convoluted narratives about their resume or about the meta or about or about however many things that uh, you have to take into account when evaluating someone's career you don't have to do this just say that you don't like the guy and even then i reserve my right to call you out on hating a guy if the rationale doesn't make sense to me if your reasoning doesn't make sense to me <laughs> i hate a i hate a pound for pound one of the most entertaining fighters in the world today. In maybe in the sports history. Just what? <laughs> it's kind of like uh I know uh, people uh like uh, Ryan Wagner, uh the our resident reptile Ryan Wagner is uh, probably one of the most hated people on <laughs> in the MMA community because he just never stops shit posting. And a lot of the things he says are purely there to wind to wind people up. So I never really take uh, his input seriously unless he actually provides some kind of uh, some kind of analysis. And even when he provides, even when he shit posts, sometimes it's just his his own genuine takes, but exaggerated to an unrecognizable degree or to an absurd degree. And uh, I've honestly always found it uh, found it incredibly funny how people always buy into that and actually think that that's this is what he actually thinks when it's blatantly not true. Like for example, uh, like the thing that he says about Dustin Poirier that he doesn't rate Dustin Poirier as uh, a pound for pound fighter because he's never beaten a wrestler, but that's him 
expressing his uh, distaste and his frustration with the fact that lightweight division and just uh, like uh, all divisions in MMA in general have this tendency to sometimes develop alongside a very a very narrow line, a very narrow route. Speaking from a meta standpoint, because for example, uh, let's say uh, once again lightweight. Uh, basically, no wrestlers at the, at the top, no pressure grapplers, at the, no pressure top grapplers in that division at the top at all. And once again, Habib was an outside context problem, and so it makes uh, evaluating fighters' uh, ability and skills so much harder because you just sometimes you just have sometimes you just have a a big wide spot in certain fighters' uh, styles. Because there's just uh, there's just no data on how they handle themselves in certain situa situations. For example, wrestling or for example, or grappling. It's just how the sport is. Same with middleweight. Israel Adesanya able to get to the top w without really experiencing any trouble with wrestlers. Derek Brunson not really a good wrestler. Let's be honest. And uh, and so Yo Romero. Yo Romero never really offensively wrestles outside of that fight with Robert Whittaker where he lost, where he gassed himself out trying to pursue takedowns against Robert Whittaker. And then Israel Desanya moves up and uh, at, at reach parity and with the size advantage that uh, Jan uh, had, Jan had, had been able to uh, basically smother Israel Desanya on top. Which also points us to the fact that probably this is that, uh, that Daniel Cormier probably murders Israel Desanya. Just flings him into the sun, even with all his deficiencies, all the deficiencies that he that Daniel Cormier has on the feet, he still beats Israel Desanya because he's a relentless, he's a relentless forward-moving fighter with, uh, with an actual process that he goes through to get you to the ground and then beat you up, and that's why evaluating MMA MMA becomes so hard because sometimes you just do not have any data and. When you do not have it, have any data, it doesn't necessarily imply that you have evidence to the fact that this fighter, that the fighter in question is going to do badly in a, in a phase of the fight about which you have no data. It just says that you have no data. And once again, that's why evaluating fighters based on stats is, is an asinine idea. We do not have the necessary amount, amount of stats to base our evaluations off of. Like Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, his resume, also marinated, marinated by the UFC for how, however long he's been marinated, for years on end, trying to pursue that pointless Habib fight. And once again, the only elite win he has is uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. That's literally it. Would you say that his wins have aged badly? Would you say that his, uh, his resume isn't all that hot? I wouldn't. I don't think that many fans would say that because Tony Ferguson is a fan favorite, and Justin Gaethje has always been some kind of like, uh, uh, despite being as entertaining as he is, he's always been a sort of a niche fighter. He's, he's kind of like a fighter mostly uh, that only hardcores really enjoy, for whatever reason, and I've never really understood why. Maybe because his uh, personality outside the the cage is kind of like a, like you know. He's not really as uh, as idiosyncratic as Tony Ferguson was, or or is rather. He's not dead yet. <laughs> no. 
I hope nothing bad happens to him. And also Dustin Poirier, yeah, uh, Dustin Poirier, I agree. Dustin Poirier is a kind of like a uh, a fighter that's uh, with 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 whom many people are able to empathize uh, more clearly because he's just such a positive force in the game today. But also, look at his resume. Do you see do do you see any wrestlers that uh, exhibit the same level of ability that Habib Nurmagomedov has been able to exhibit? No. And that's why Ryan says that he doesn't rate him, which is uh, a very blatantly a take that he uses in order to wind people up. Because he he also has a bit about uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus uh, Max Holloway, the second fight, where he just kind of pretends that Volkanovsky dominated Max Holloway, <laughs> like very clearly, and that Max Holloway will never be able to win against Volkanovsky, despite the fact that he was the most out, one of the most... He, he was the one on TFS crew who was the most outraged about that decision immediately after the fight. So just to clear to clear the air a bit about uh, that particular take he has. I don't know, really I think what I'm I think what I'm asking here uh, from from the fans is to be consistent and uh, to recognize when their biases play a role in how they evaluate certain, certain fighters or, or how they think about certain fighters. I joke about disliking Cater sometimes to kind of uh, wind Thrillam up, uh, uh, wind Thrillam up a bit because Thrillam has this tendency to kind of fall into backing his guys, I'm sorry, backing his guys no matter what. And uh, it's just a, which is a trait I respect because sometimes he will... Uh, discuss all the ways he will outline all the ways in, in which uh, through which his uh, favorite fighter may lose but he still picks them in the end because he just if he likes you he will ride that train until you're com- until all the wheels fall off the wagon just completely and it's a trait I respect and uh, sometimes it gets really funny <laughs> when he just kind of insists that uh, his favorite fighter will beat ev- will beat everyone on the planet when it's just kind of blatantly not true uh, it's it's uh, an endearing trait of his but uh, it's something that I sometimes poke fun at especially with uh, the cater especially with the cater example but uh, I personally do not dislike uh, dislike Cater in any capacity. I just think it's just a bummer that uh, I think Calvin Cater is a championship level fighter that could have been the featherweight champion had he had he trained at a camp with uh, more diverse training partners at a camp that would have developed him better as a fighter and not and didn't spend all those years on the regional scene murdering guys who are clearly clearly not on his level because that's the danger of uh, whether you're fighting whether you're constantly fighting cans it's kind of like the interplay it's the contrast between starting starting to fight elite competition too early in your career and uh, fighting camps uh, fighting cans for too long that's the contrast between those two extremes like uh, fighting like for example Michael Chandler and I think uh, Sandro, uh, the the uh, the the famed Jab Zuda of uh, MMA Twitter, had pointed out that Michael Chandler started fighting elite competition such as Eddie Alvarez when he was nine fights into his career, 
he fought for the belt for the Bellator lightweight belt when he was only nine fights into his career and as a result this maybe curtailed his development because he zeroed in on the things that uh, that uh, were able to carry him through those fights against elite competition and that's why he developed into such a chin bully into such an athletic and that's why he why he relied on his athletic attributes so hard instead of developing some kind of uh, process he went to hoofds he went to hoofds and had been able to develop a competent kickboxing game because that's what hoofds uh, specializes in but uh, still kind of uh, too little too late and the same and, and, and you've got the cater example spent so many years of his career spent the entirety of his career on the regional scene got into the UFC and now he's a finished product like what can he do to add new tools to his style he, well he can add many tools to his style but he's uh, he's not really like a, a strategic type fighter. He, he doesn't really have the strategic strategic or tactical wherewithal to be on the same level as someone like, let's say, Max Holloway. Max Holloway, too, started out in the UFC fighting elite competition very early in his, uh, in his career. But nevertheless, Max Holloway is also a generational talent. And that's why his uh, rise... To, to prominence is so remarkable started fighting elite competition extremely early extremely young and still managed to overcome that but uh, managed to overcome that and develop a style that carries him uh, carries him and uh, at the at the very highest level and carried him to becoming a pound for pound threat a pound for pound one of the greatest fighters this sport has ever seen but with the caveat that i would have still liked him to spend some more time developing certain aspects of his game like for example his defense or for example developing an ability to stay on top of his uh, opponents safely without getting countered so much or jose aldo jose aldo started late started training for mma late uh, started facing fairly stiff competition early on in his career got carried by his athletic gifts but nevertheless his athletic gifts has been had been so advanced that he still nevertheless managed to develop an incredibly fundamentally sound game but his form suffered still from not training for example boxing from an early age because uh, that's why he has such a reactive that's why he had he has such a reactive defense to most strikes that's why his punching form is so energy inefficient now, I can go on and on about all these aspects, about all these what-ifs when it comes to the fight game. Fighting is hard. You wouldn't believe how exhaustingly, debilitatingly, back-breakingly hard it is. You may think it's a long way up the stairs to your boss's office, but that's peanuts compared to fighting. Fighting is extremely extremely mentally taxing on top of it coming with a laundry list of chronic health issues down the line but the real hard thing about fighting is sticking to your skill set while getting your head punched in and the hardest thing is to deviate from the usual way you use that skill set when fighting someone who's trained to counter your skill set the process of training to fight is what's supposed to make it easier professional fighters dedicate their entire being 
to this process. And quite often, it still ends up not being enough. I've already gone over how the, the way the overall institution of MMA forces fighters to develop offense first, defense second, attribute reliant games in order to get by in the sport. In, uh, I think it was the third installment of the meatpacking series on the fight side. And Danny Martin has gone over how initiative is the integral part of the MMA meta in his MMA meta game series. But uh, it's not only that. It's also like all the outside factors that influence uh, individual fighters' careers. There's just so many. There's so many of these factors and you have to take them all into account to be intellectually honest about the points you're trying to make when arguing and discussing this sport. And I get it, the memes are funny. And uh, you, you may dislike certain fighters based on uh, incredibly subjective criteria. Or like, uh, just kind of like on a gut. Uh, like your gut instinct may simply compel you, compel you to dislike certain fighters. Just kind of, maybe they exhibit a certain pet peeve of, you, of yours. Maybe they just kind of irritate you due to some some quirks. For example, I dislike Matt Schnell because he always makes like this uh, this bizarre Bruce Lee impression every time he fights and it just gets on my nerves. But uh, at least I'm honest about it. At least I'm not trying to come up with narratives to explain why I dislike him to come off as smarter than I actually am. And I'm not arguing that people who do that are actually like... Uh, are dumb as people, you know. I'm uh, arguing that the way they go about it is intellectually dishonest and doesn't really make that much intellectual sense. Uh, all right. I guess that's my rant for today. I'm sorry if I just... Uh, can, I, I kind of just yelled for an entire hour, but that's that's just how I how aggravated I've got about this whole thing. I mean, we, like the fight side boys, and uh, like, uh, we try to argue for that, we try to promote this, like this almost scientific style of thinking, almost academic style of thinking about, like uh, academic approach of thinking about fights. And you do not necessarily have to ascribe to that. You do not necessarily have to think about fights the way like uh, we do. But also just, just try and make like try try and have your takes make some degree of sense, and uh, that our community will become that much better because of it, because that's what we want in the end: a better MMA community, a better fight fan community, in order to make the experience of interacting with other fight fans more pleasant. Because as it stands. The MMA community and the fight fan community in general is just kind of a cesspool. It's a cesspit. It's a mess. I don't think I need to remind you all how aggravating it is to uh, log in on, uh, like, let's say, Twitter or Reddit and uh, once again find just uh, a, a, find a, a chorus of uh, dribbling morons you're spouting complete nonsense about fighters that you know is blatantly untrue. But it's even more aggravating when I see people who should really know better, should really know better, 
fumble their reasoning when trying to discuss either certain fighters or certain fights. These people leave their health on the line. They put their health on the line, they leave years. Years of, like, like, uh, they shave years of each other in that octagon, in that ring. They're putting the prospect, they're putting their shot at, the, uh, at a long, healthy and happy life on the line. And I think the least we can do as fans is to at least try to, well, try to be intellectually honest about the whole thing. Try to acknowledge the ethical problems, the ethical questions that rise whenever, whenever the topic of combat sports comes up. Like, uh, memeing about fighters and fans and memes are just in general, are just, I, they are fine. It's fine. It's I get that they're funny, but there's also a certain a certain threshold after which it just becomes. Uh, I think it just becomes insulting. I think Jack Slag mentioned it uh, mentioned it once and twice, and uh, he's the number one MMA meme man, I think. But uh, still, he still warns against treating fighters like meat. And uh, it's a strong, uh, strong compulsion. Many fight fans and uh, fight analysts and uh, uh, fighting talkie men kind of feel. Because I, I, I understand it. Because it's kind of... It's really hard to constantly acknowledge, to constantly keep that um, understanding in mind that what you're doing is inherently enjoying violence and travel on the screen like uh, you're you are enjoying like t in order to be a fight fan you're kind of by default agreeing to the to the uh agreeing to watch two people commit violence against one another you're watching sanctioned violence that's the that's the number one uh th that's the first ethical and moral hurdle you have to acknowledge in order to be a fight fan that's the first morally shady thing that you are agreeing to. I've already wrote an entire article about this. Like I, I think I like it's kind of like a like a quarterly sort of thing. Every every quarter I get so fed up by the dynamics that I see in the MMA community every every uh, for, on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of I get so sick of it I write an article that I where I condemn it which uh, doesn't really do anything the dynamics never change and the people who go oh the, yeah you're, you're, uh, you're completely right this is so right you are so right man we need to try and be better and then they go just kind of a day passes and they go back to it they go right back to memeing about fighters and just uh trying to and just uh, openly dissing certain fighters careers in order to wind other people up to wind people they dislike up uh, i guess every once in a while some things need to be restated but uh, it's just getting ridiculous now i mean uh, to quote to quote a passage from that article i've mentioned is just some things already said by others need to be expressed in your own words for your own sake, if not the others. Uh, like, this is me trying to remind myself why I enjoy fighting, what has drawn me to it in the first place. I've said it many times, and I'll say it again. Fighting is a microcosm of the human condition. Everyone fights in one way or another. 
For every human being, there is a silent war going <sighs> For every human being, there is, a si there is a silent war going on inside their heart. Some are just bloodier than others. Some are simply louder. Some are so impossibly subdued you can't see the person die, bit by bit, until it is far too late. But at the end of the day, everyone wants their fight to be fair. It almost never is, but everyone wishes it were. Everyone wants control. Everyone wants to know they are safe. Everyone wants to be treated well. And failing that, treated fair. Almost no one ever gets their wish. So then, if we can't get it right now in our actual lives, will it really hurt us that much to try and create the same conditions for the people who take that... for the people who take that inner war and unravel it for us in real life, in real time, for everyone to see with their hands and their feet and their elbows and knees and their souls. Professional fighting is probably the only place where the human desire for violence can truly be controlled, where violence can truly be fair. For many fighters and for many fans and viewers, it's a form of escape. From poverty, from life's mundane but endless troubles, from inner demons. It's an escape from any number of things that threaten to ruin each and every one of us, day in, day out. You can't fight the concept of despair with your fists, but you sure as hell can squeeze it out of you, punch by punch for at least a moment. You can take that pain and turn it into victory, into a single hand raised above your head to the accompaniment of ear-splitting cheers of the ecstatic public. For some fighters, that is the only triumph they'll have ever experienced in their lives up until that point. Because back home, this whole thing waiting for them for years on end was the mundane cruelty of modern times. There's some other stuff I've said about uh, the topic. And uh, just I kind of don't have it in me to revisit it and read it out loud once again but um i hope it's uh, it's a sufficient enough reminder of what we are dealing with here this has been tengridome episode 13 i'll see you next time have a good one